Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Inside each and every one of us, I believe, beats the heart of a hero just waiting to be let out. I believe that God has wired us up to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who is the greatest hero the world's ever known. The problem is, I think some of us, we don't have enough courage to step into the calling that we believe that God has called us to do. So how do we close that gap of knowing Jesus has created me for a purpose to live a life of courage, to be a hero here in this world, to bring hope and blessing wherever I go. And yet, there are times when we find ourselves just filled with fear, with not the bravery we want to step into what we believe God is calling us to do. So how do we close that gap? That's what we're going to be exploring here today. For the last couple of years, I've been fortunate to coach Josh's baseball teams, uh, both his rec league here at Osseo Maple Grove, and then this year, my first time ever as a head baseball coach for his school team at Heritage Christian Academy. And it was, it's been a really, really awesome experience. I love baseball. I love coaching my son, getting to know his friends better, and investing in these young men. But this year at Heritage, is a little different than before in the rec leagues where all the teams are kind of filled where we needed more ballplayers. At the start of the season, we only had, I think, eight or nine boys. And so it was like, okay, we need to kind of shake the bushes and get some other kids to join the team. Otherwise, we're not going to have enough players to field a team. And so what that hap happened then was that we had two boys come out for our team who had never played baseball before, two, two sixth graders. And they were brand new to this. That I remember the first couple times at plate where they got their, their fourth ball, and it was like, hey, Go ahead and go to first base. This is a walk. Like, they didn't even know what a walk was. They, they weren't even sure, you know, the names of the bases. But then we had two boys on our team who are, like, amazing all-stars. Uh, Maple Grove has different traveling teams, and they are the top traveling team, uh, phenomenal athletes. And so it was this interesting dynamic of having kids who had never played the game before, uh, brand new to baseball, weren't even sure of the rules, as well as these, like, really superstar athletes that maybe someday... I could see them playing college ball somewhere and just so, so good. And then a bunch of kids kind of in between. But the beautiful thing about our baseball team was everyone was invited to come play. Everyone had the opportunity to join the team. And some kids decided not to. And some kids said, hey, I don't know anything about this. I don't know where to stand or what to do or where to even buy a baseball glove. But if you'll help me, then I'd love to be a part of the team. So the question is, in church, in life, on a baseball team, who's in and who's out? So I think a lot of times at church, maybe you walk in, maybe you're new or you're, you're unsure of your church experiences, and, and you wonder who's in and who's out. Who's allowed to play in the game? And maybe what are the unwritten rules that I don't even know? Today we're going to see who's in and who's out in God's team. Today, if you don't know, is Pentecost Sunday. A lot of times at Baptist, non-denominational churches like us, we don't really follow the church calendar. But this year, we're like, yeah, let's celebrate Pentecost Sunday. 
And, and so what does that all mean? Well, let's look at that. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You can do your smartphones. Uh, we got Bibles in the back if you want a Bible. We're going to be looking at uh, a couple different spots. But actually, we're going to start in Acts 1, and then we'll go to Acts 2. Um, but as you're turning in your Bibles or your smartphone, would you just join me in a, in a word of prayer? God, thank you that you are here in this place. God, thank you that you stepped into our darkness and lack of hope by clothing yourself in flesh and becoming our living hope. Thank you, God, for the cross and Easter Sunday and resurrection, which means the worst thing is never the last thing. Be with us here today. God, I pray that your spirit would continue to be moving that everyone here would receive the word from you that they need to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So here's where we find ourselves in the story. Jesus is God become a man. He lived without sin. He went to the cross. He died in our place as our substitute was buried. And three days later on Easter Sunday, he rose from the grave conquering Satan's sin and death. And then Jesus told his followers, don't go and start your ministry yet. You've seen me die on the cross. All your hope was dead and buried. But then you saw me rise again. And for 40 days, we've been hanging out. And I've been teaching you. And I've been encouraging you and telling you what your next steps are. But however, you have to wait. Turn to your neighbor and say, wait. There you go. I love it. Love it. We've talked about this before. But that time waiting isn't time wasted. It can be time invested if you're intentional. First thing we see is that the disciples have to wait. They take 10 days of waiting. Jesus says, wait. And so they're investing this time. They're not wasting their time. Perhaps today you feel like God's calling you to do something or you have a desire to be married or a desire to be a parent or something, but you're in a season of waiting. What I want you to know, though, is that time waiting isn't time wasted. If you're intentional, it can be time that you're investing to allow God to do the deep work that only he can do so that you're ready to accomplish what God is going to call you to do. Acts 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. So Jesus now, he's been with his disciples for 40 days. He's teaching them. He's getting ready to ascend back to the Father. Here's what he says. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, say wait, Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water. We're going to come back to that. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to the Father and it tells us that, that, the, Holy, that the disciples then go and wait and so they're, they're praying, they're gathering, they're studying the Bible, they're preparing themselves, they're waiting. We see this again and again in the Bible. There's always a time of waiting in between receiving your calling and fulfilling your calling. There's always a time of waiting between receiving a word from God and a calling on your life and then fulfilling that calling. You see, Moses, the prince of Egypt, called to save his people from slavery and bondage, but had to wait 40 Long years before living out his calling. David, the little shepherd boy who killed Goliath, he gets anointed as king, but then has to wait 20 years before becoming king. Peter, the fisherman, the, the, the leader of the disciples, 
told that on this rock I will build my church. You're going to lead our church. But now he has to wait. So we find the early church, after getting their mission from Jesus, instead of taking matters into their own hand, they're going to wait and they're going to pray. And the next step is up to God. It's up to the risen Jesus to fulfill his promise and send his spirit. Perhaps you're in a season where God has promised you something and there's nothing that you can do. It's up to God to fulfill the promise that he's made to you. And that's where the disciples are. Sometimes we receive this word, we receive this promise, but there's nothing that we can do. And so what we have to do is to wait and pray. And I imagine Peter, he's waiting and he's praying. Remember the story of Peter. Peter was bold. He was brash. He's the guy who swung his sword wildly when they came to get Jesus. He chopped off a guy's ear. Jesus is like, bro, you make me look bad. He puts the ear back on. And then Peter denies even knowing Jesus. The, the, the cock crows and he runs away. And then what happens after Jesus ascends, uh, after Jesus rises from the dead? He meets Peter. He makes him breakfast. He restores his calling. But Peter now, he's uncertain of, of, of does he have what it takes? And, and, he, and I, I imagine Peter for 10 days praying, God, you've called me to this, but I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I can't do this on my own. I believe that's where God wants each and every one of us. Aware of our calling, aware of what God wants us to do or be, but also where we can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own strength. That We can't be the parent God wants us to be just on our own strength. We can't be the spouse God wants us to be just on our own strength. We can't be the business owner and manager and leader that God wants us to be just on our own strength. Well, let's read what happens next to Peter and the followers of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read out of the NLT version. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers are meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like Flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. All right, when we read this, it sounds kind of crazy. Like there's, there's wind and fire and, and, and tongues are breaking loose. What's going on here? Well, the Bible is describing a supernatural, miraculous event. Have you ever been in a situation where you saw something for the very first time and you couldn't really quite describe it? You're like, well, it's kind of like this and it's kind of like that. That's what Dr. Luke, our author here, is trying to describe. He's like, well, it's, it's kind of like wind and it was kind of like fire, but not really. And you're supposed to understand that the Bible here is straining to explain the supernatural and the constraints of human language. Uh, Dr. Luke is like, he's interviewing the people that were there and they're like, well... It was like wind. It wasn't exactly like wind and is like fire, but it wasn't exactly fire. So that's what they're trying to describe. So it's the dawn of the day of Pentecost, and Peter and the other followers of Jesus are gathered to wait and pray, and the day begins with the eruption of new sounds from heaven and wind, and things are coming loose and breaking open. Pentecost was the inauguration of a new era of the Spirit. If you're taking notes, write that down. That Pentecost was the inauguration of a new era of the Spirit. And on that very first Pentecost, the wind and the fire were abnormal. That's not going to happen today on Pentecost Sunday. We're not going to get a bunch of wind and fire in here. But the new life and joy and fellowship and worship, the freedom and boldness and power that they experienced, that was not abnormal. That is for us as believers to experience every day. So what was Pentecost? Like, 
Is Pentecost the day that the church was born? Well, yes, but before that, it was a Jewish holiday. See, 50 days before Penta, which means 50, was one of their highest, holiest days, which is Passover. And Passover was celebrating that God's deliverance of his people out of slavery and bondage. If you remember the story of uh, God's people, God called Abraham to, hey, I'm going to build a new people out of you. And Abraham had Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the 12 brothers. And Joseph gets sold into slavery down to Egypt. And things are going well. But then a couple hundred years later, people forget about Joseph. And, And the Israelites grow so big that the Egyptians are worried about them. And so they enslave them. And so then the people are calling out to God, God, we need a deliverer. God, please save us. God, things are dark and hopeless. So God saves them. And, and, and Passover was pointing forward to the day that God would bring all of us out of hopelessness and darkness into a new exodus. And so what the Israelites did is they had to sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood on their doorposts, and then the angel of death would pass over them. And so Passover is that celebration that Jesus died on Passover weekend as now the Lamb of God who takes away sins for the whole world. And Jesus' death painted blood on the doorposts of the whole universe. And so now the question is who's in and who's out? And Jesus is inviting everyone to come in. So that was Passover. And then 50 days later was Pentecost. And Pentecost was one of the Jewish people's three harvest festivals. It was also celebrating when God brought the Israelites out of slavery and bondage of Moses, and they passed through the, the Red Sea, and then they camped outside this mountain called Mount Sinai. And 50 days after Passover, God then met with Moses and gave his law on the Ten Commandments and said, hey, you are brand new people. You've been slaves for 400 years, longer than the United States has been in existence. That's how long they were slaves. And he said, you need to learn how to live. You need to learn how to be a new people. Here are some rules. Have no other gods before me. Here are some rules. Stay faithful to your spouse and don't take someone else's wife. Here are some rules how to live right. Don't take someone else's stuff. Here are some rules. Tell the truth. Don't bear false witness against someone else. And so God gives his law as a way to shape this new people on a way how to live. And that's 50 days after Passover. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 19. If you want to flip there, you can. I'm going to read this. And this is that event where God gives his law now. But now we're at Mount Sinai. But the question is, who's in and who's out? Who's allowed to ascend that holy mountain to meet with God? The Lord said to Moses, verse 10, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The question is, who's in, who's out? Who's allowed to ascend the mountain to meet with God in the midst of, of wind and fire and sounds? Were everyone invited up? No, just one. 
Just one man, one mediator, Moses. He goes to meet with God. The rest of the people had to sit back. So it was a great day. They got the law, and God is going to be their God, and he's going to lead them. But only Moses was allowed to meet with God. But now, on Pentecost, all of that changes. Now all are invited to ascend the hill, to meet with God, to become part of this new community that God is building. That's good news. So we have fire and sounds and wind on Mount Sinai. We see those same things in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. So 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the followers of Jesus, they're, they're meeting together. And they're gathering about 120 of them in Jerusalem, and, and the Holy Spirit, he descends on them. And he comes to empower them and to empower so that they could be like Jesus and live on his mission by his power. And I want you to see that the Holy Spirit comes like wind. He comes like fire. Or see this as empowerment, as power. Now, when I think of the early church and they were promised, you will receive power. But right before this, they're asking Jesus, okay, you've died, you've rose again, now you're, you're getting ready maybe to go back to heaven. They weren't sure. At this time, are you going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? And they miss it because what they think is power is empire. They think power means kicking the Romans out, having the best weapons that might makes right. So they still don't get it. And Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're waiting, and they're praying, and now what the rest of the book of Acts is is them discovering what true power is. True power is living out the way of Jesus. See, Jesus told his followers, hey, you're living under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And you know what those Roman soldiers can do? They can come to you while you're at your job, while you're in the fields, or, or you're a stonemason, and they can say, hey, you, I'm going to give my horse a break. You need to carry my gear for a, for a mile. And the Jewish people would begrudgingly do it, and they'd, they'd carry the gear for a mile, but the Roman Empire said that's as far as they could make you carry it. And then they'd throw it down, and they'd have to walk the mile back to get back to their job and, and finish their stuff. But Jesus says, you know what? You know what true power is? True power isn't resisting that soldier and killing him. True power is at the end of a mile, and the soldier says, all right, I, I'll take my stuff back. He said, no, 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 I'm good. I'm going to carry this one more mile. True power, Jesus says, is when a Roman soldier comes up to you, and he slaps you on the face to see how you're going to respond. True power isn't resisting him and fighting him. True power is saying, hey, I am free. Now, hit me on the other side. True power was the Roman soldier who come to you and say, hey, I like your coat. I'm cold. Give me your coat. And Jesus says, true power isn't resisting that. True power is saying, you know what? You want my coat? Here, take my shirt as well. I am no one's slave. That is the way of Jesus. It's saying, it's the power to live rightly. To say, I'm going to live with love and grace. See, the early church, they were still before the Holy Spirit came. They're still thinking maybe power meant overthrowing the empire. And so often, I think we too, we chase political power. We, we, we chase the things of empire. But see, the way of Jesus, the power is saying that no, power is living in the way of Jesus. And, and, and bringing hope and beauty and truth and love and grace. And the Holy Spirit empowers that. The Holy Spirit is like wind. I think of a couple years back when we got kites for our kids and then we invited a family over and one of the boys, Graydon, uh, came and he opened up the kite. And I was like, what are you doing? Why did you open this kite up just randomly? All right, so we're now we're going to take the kites out because they're opened. But that night then we, we flew kites with our kids. 
and watching the kites dance and float on the wind. The Bible's saying that's what the Holy Spirit is like. He lifts you up like a kite to dance on his wind. And the Holy Spirit is like fire. It's not real fire because others' their heads would have been burning up, but it's like a fire. And I think of, of, of those of us maybe who love to camp or in the summer nights you have a bonfire and when things are a little cold, a little dark, and how comforting is a fire? How good is it to gather around friends around a fire? And the fire illuminates us and it brings warmth and life and heat. And that's what the Holy Spirit is like. Our lives and world are cold and they're dark, but the Holy Spirit comes to illuminate Jesus and warm our hearts to love him. And this summer, if you ever fly kite, why don't you think about that? The Holy Spirit lifts you up to dance on his wind and power. And this summer, if you have a bonfire or you start a fire, to think of the Holy Spirit as coming to illuminate and to fill you with warmth and hope. But these are outward symbols, metaphors that the Holy Spirit is using to reveal his internal working. So the early church, what are they doing here? A couple of things, three things real quick. Number one, they're all together in one place. They were gathering as they waited. I've heard people say before that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being inside a garage makes you a car. Now, that is absolutely true. That just going to church doesn't automatically mean that you are a follower of Jesus, that you have bowed your knee to say yes to Jesus. But I'm going to step on some toes. I believe you absolutely cannot be a follower of Jesus and not be in church. You have to be with other believers on a regular basis. If you have not gathered with believers in a home, at a dinner table, in a church service in the last three or four weeks, I would have you seriously question, are you really following Jesus? Because the New Testament is filled with 40 commands that you cannot live out unless you're doing the one another's with others. Following Jesus is a personal decision, but it cannot be lived out alone. You have to live out the way of Jesus in community. And I'm sorry, but our Western ideals, we're so much individualized and it's just about me, but that is not the way of Jesus. It is a community together following the way of Jesus. Following the way of Jesus does not mean sitting in some back row of some big church that no one knows your name. Following Jesus means you love others, you bear one another's burdens, you pray for one another, you open your home in hospitality. That is how you live out the way of Jesus. That's what the early church was doing. They were together in one place. Number two, we see these tongues, and they symbolize a new unity in the spirit that transcended racial, national, and linguistic barriers. As the Holy Spirit fell, all these travelers were there for this great festival. So imagine Jerusalem filled with all these people there for this Pentecost festival, and out of the thousands of people, 120 come out, and they're speaking in different tongues. And, and so it's like this little pocket in the midst of this big, busy city filled with other travelers, but then all of a sudden, people from different parts of the empire are hearing God's name being praised in their own language. And so they're going, what is going on? That's crazy, Siri. What is going on that we are hearing God's word be praised in our own languages? And so what does Peter do? He steps up in front of this crowd of thousands. And I just, I love the disciples because they're so three-dimensional. And you got to always remember, most likely Peter is around the age of 21 because only Jesus and Peter paid a certain imperial tax 
It's the whole story of Jesus telling Peter to go fishing, and they pull out this text. So most likely they're the only ones over the age of 18. The rest of the disciples are probably teenagers. And they're young and impetuous, but young enough for a rabbi to pour into them and invest in them. So you got to think of Peter around the age of, he's a young 20-something with a bunch of other young disciples. And so the Holy Spirit falls in them, and they're speaking in tongues. And someone's like, okay, who's going to stand up and talk about this? And Peter's like, I'm going to be the one to talk in front of the thousands of people out there. And I can just always imagine the other disciples, John and Andrew and Thomas, like, oh, Peter, what are you going to say? You know, because they just saw him 50 days ago try to chop off a guy's head and miss it, you know. And so Peter steps up in front, and I just love the opening of his story is like, you guys think we're drunk. We're not drunk. It's way too early in the morning for us to be drunk. Like, that's his opening, right? Which I think is amazing, and, and that's why I believe that this is God's word and it's true, because if, if you're building a religion, you wouldn't start off Peter's great sermon that way. He says, hey, no, 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 we're not drunk. It's too early, maybe later in the afternoon, but right now we're not drunk. No, this is God's spirit now. And now everyone is hearing the word of God proclaimed in their own language. What does this mean? Who's in, who's out? Everyone is in. Everyone is invited to play on the team. You might say the Holy Spirit opened a new school in Jerusalem that day, and the apostles whom Jesus appointed were the new teachers, and then 3,000 people respond to the gospel, and they all are in kindergarten on that day. And here's what Peter proclaims to those people in Acts 2, verse 36. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter, who 50 days before denied knowing even Jesus, he stands in front of this crowded people in a festival and says, You crucified Jesus now Acts 2, verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These people, on the day the church is born, Peter tells them, you need to do three things. Number one, you need to repent. Teshuva, Hebrew word. It means you're going one way, you're walking through the forest, you realize you left the path. Oh no, what am I going to do? If I keep heading this direction, I'm going to get more and more lost. I'm heading towards destruction. I'm not going the way that God designed me to live. How many times have we been there in our own lives? Where all of a sudden we look down and realize, whoa, if I continue on this path, this is not going to end up in a good spot. So teshuva means to turn. So you're going down this path, now you're turning. There's a huge difference between being sorry and repentance. Sorry is I feel bad because I was caught. Repentance says I need to change. And instead of going down this way, I'm going to turn. I'm going to live this way now. There's a massive difference between those. See, I think some people, they also confuse conviction with condemnation. And they think, oh, no, don't don't condemn me, man. It's like, no, the Holy Spirit isn't bringing condemnation. Condemnation says you are bad. Conviction says that thing you did is bad and is going to lead you towards destruction. So when you're in service and you feel a stirring or you're listening to a sermon or a worship song and you feel something inside and you're like, oh no, I need to turn the way I'm living. That's not condemnation, that's conviction. That you don't need to just feel sorry, but you actually need to change. We have people in our church who realize alcohol has become a crutch. If I keep going down this path, that's going to head to destruction. Now, I can't just be sorry. I've been drinking too much. Oh, I feel bad about that. What do you have to do? You have to turn. Say, now I'm going to get some help. I'm going to meet with some other people who are addicts as well. 
and, and now I'm going to change the way I'm living. So Peter says, repent. Number two, be baptized. This is what Jesus modeled for us. You need to be baptized. And number three, then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 2.41, so those who received his word, they chose to repent, to be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Who's in, who's out? On the day of Pentecost, Paul, Peter's saying, everyone is invited in now. In Genesis 2, we see the Spirit of God breathe life into dust and create a human being. In Acts 2, we see the Spirit breathe life into these scared disciples and create a new church, which is the incarnated now body of Christ that we are part of. In Genesis 11, you see this old story where the people gather to build this tower of Babel, and God descends, he judges the proud, and turns the one into many. But on Pentecost, we see in Acts 2 that God descends, saves the humble, and turns the one into many. That Pentecost is the great reversal of Babel. That from one into many, now many become one, the body of Christ. And Peter goes from an arrogant, cocky man of thunder. He becomes a humble, willing, obedient servant of the Jesus, even to death. And this lowly fisherman became a fisher of men, one that changed and shaped the world forever. How? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he repented, he was baptized, and he received the gift of the Spirit. And today, if you feel a calling, but you don't feel like you have the courage to accomplish it, Jesus wants to change you from cowardly to courageous, from complacent to a conqueror, from apathetic to an ambassador for Jesus. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to be a community of followers of Jesus who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, who are continually being filled by the power and the presence of the Spirit. To say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in my life, in this church, in our community. Amen? But Jesus' mission requires that you and I be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't be who Jesus made us to be, and we can't do what Jesus called us to do unless we are filled by the power and the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. But I believe some of you, what your next step is, that you need to be baptized. Perhaps in spirit, perhaps in water. See, baptism in water... You are standing there, and we're going to do next Sunday. You're going to stand there in the lake, and that represents who you used to be. Then you'll go under the water, and you're dying to who you used to be with Christ, and you're raised up to represent new life in Jesus. See, here's the thing I've learned over years and years is that people never change. People never change until they actually end up, they actually do change. People never change until they decide, you know what, enough is enough. I can't keep living this way. It's heading towards destruction. I have to change. I have to redefine who I am. See, the reason baptism is so significant is because it's a moment where you get to stand there and redefine who you are. Baptism is a moment where you find the courage to redefine yourself and to say, I belong to Jesus. My life belongs to him. I'm going to follow him no matter what. Some of you, I believe it's time to redefine yourself. It's time to come clean. It's time to say publicly to everyone, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I belong to you. Jesus, I'm defined by you. Some of you for way too long have allowed yourself to be defined by the worst patterns of who you are, by, to be defined by your past. But the only way to change is to choose to redefine yourself, to say through the power of Jesus, I am choosing to be done living by fear. I'm done being a coward. I'm done being defined by my worst choices, by my worst mistakes, by the things that I've done in the past. That is not who I am anymore. 
And see, Jesus gives you the opportunity through baptism to redefine who you are and what you stand for. That is why baptism is so powerful. But someone's going to try to talk you out of getting baptized. See, Jesus faced the same thing when he went to get baptized. In Matthew 3, verse 14, it says, But John the Baptist tried to talk him out of it. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? The point is this. If someone tried to talk Jesus out of getting baptized, you are going to face some objections too. Perhaps a parent, perhaps a child, perhaps a friend, you don't need to get baptized. You're baptized as a baby. Let me tell you though, infant baptism, we are not against it, but that was an incredibly significant event in the life of your parents where they hoped one day you'd grow up to follow Jesus. But now you have the chance to stand in the water and to say, I'm no longer going to be defined by my past. This is who I am now. I'm choosing to redefine who I am. What does Jesus tell his followers right at the very end? Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I want them to do what I did, to be agents of hope and change, to live power in a way that's not the way of empire. It's a way of rejecting culture, of of living out grace and truth and peace and love. He says, I want you to tell people to live that way, that they can be on the team, that they're allowed in so they can become like me. And the identifying marker that Jesus gave us was not a fish on the back of a car. It's not marking on your Facebook page, my religious affiliation. The marker that Jesus gave us was baptism. Baptism is saying, I choose Jesus. I choose to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. I stand in the water. This represents who I was. And now I'm going to be lowered under the water. I'm going to die to that person that I was, the the, the things that defined me, and now I'm going to redefine myself as a follower of Jesus. I'm going public with my faith. Say, this is who I am now. And here's the thing. Change requires these elevated moments. This is just like neuroscience, like not Christian talk. Like if you want to change, you have to have these peaks that you can look back on and say, that moment mattered. And so when you doubt, when you are tempted to think, no, I'm still that old person. When you're tempted to think, I'm still defined by my worst mistakes, by my heritage, by the blood from my parents that I got, that the addictions that run through me. You can say, no, I remember that time when I I stood in the lake And some pastors baptized me and I went underwater. Nope, I'm redefined. Because we have moments where we slip. Moments where we doubt. But then when we have those markers, we can remember, no, 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 nope, nope, that's not who I I am anymore. When when the devil, the tempter, tries to say, hey, remember, you you haven't changed at all. No, I have changed. And I am changing. And Jesus is going to continue to change me and grow me. And baptism is one of those moments where you can step on it. It's also why we receive communion on a regular basis. Communion is, is a reminder. Hey, we're all invited to the table. I can't do this on my own strength. I'm coming to Jesus, and in his power, he's going to fill me. Baptism is that one-time event where we redefine ourselves. Communion is a regular event where we come in to remind ourselves of that decision we've made to read our, redefine ourselves in Jesus. I've been coaching Josh's baseball teams for a couple years now. Uh, two years ago, though, uh, it just felt like where the church was at and where I was at, I was like, I don't have it in me to, to coach. And so for, for that season, I didn't coach his team. And, and so I just came and sat in the bleachers. 
and just got cheered him on and missed some of his games and weren't there for any of the practices. Let me tell you, I did not like that. <laughs> some of you, it's time to get out of the bleachers, to put on a jersey and saying, I'm on the team. I'm identifying as a follower of Jesus. I'm not just a fan, I'm a follower. It's way more fun to be on the team. It's way more fun to be invested, to know others and to know the insides and outs. As a coach, I love knowing the names of all the players on Josh's team. I love knowing who they are and their strengths and, and hey, yeah. Your mom's going through cancer. And I could know to ask that 12-year-old boy, how you doing with that? Or, hey, your parents have been divorced for a couple of years, and what's that like? There's a massive difference between just sitting in the stands and being on the team and knowing people. And for those of us who followed Jesus for a long time, Perhaps you've been sitting back for a little while now because of COVID and different reasons. And you're just kind of in the stands and, and maybe even look around at church today and you're like, I don't really know people's stories. Your step, get out of the stands. Put a jersey back on. Get in the game. Get to know people. Get to know their story. There's nothing like doing life with people and knowing them and being empowered by the Spirit to do what God created you to be inside each and every one of you beats the heart of a hero waiting to be revealed not in your own strength but by the power of the Holy Spirit what's your next step is it redefining yourself through the act of baptism is it getting back in the game is it just reminding yourself of that moment when you stood in the water you know what no I have changed Jesus is changing me and I'm going to continue to change I'm going to pray and then we're going to close with one more song Jesus, thank you that you gave us your spirit on Pentecost and now everyone is invited to the table, that each and every one of us is invited to live a heroic life full of courage and hope and blessing. God, I pray for those who need to redefine who they are. They'd have the courage to say, you know what, next Sunday I'm gonna get baptized. In front of this community of friends and family, I'm gonna redefine who I am and now my... I'm defined by who Jesus is. Gotta pray for those maybe who've been sitting in the back and, and just been a little disconnected, like when I was sitting in the stands. God, they'd get in the game, get to know the players, get to know those on their team, to do life with, to celebrate the wins and to, to weep when, when the losses and the hard times, to just do life, to know and be known. And God, for all of us who are followers of you, God, I pray that we would just know that we are not defined by our worst mistakes, but we are defined by you, Jesus. Right now, I just want to give the opportunity. If there's anyone here who has not yet chosen to make that decision to follow Jesus, to, to take that step of faith, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond. And if that's you today, you don't need to stand or raise your hand or anything. I just want to invite you just to pray this simple prayer. Just that, Jesus, I give you my life. It's saying, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the whole conversation you have to have with God, but it's the start. And when you pray that prayer, 
when you believe in Jesus, when you confess your sins, the Bible says you will be saved, you will be changed, you'll be adopted into his family, and you are welcomed into his kingdom. So God, I pray for anyone right now who needs to take that step of faith, that they would do that in boldness. And then God, they would choose to grow in faith with others. To be stretched, to, to know more about who you are, Jesus, and how to follow in your way. God, I just pray for us as a church body that we continue to just be a source of hope. That we would invite people to experience your healing. That we'd be bringers of peace wherever we go. That we'd walk in your power, empowered to live like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? As we close our service, we're going to receive our offering. Uh, this is an opportunity for those who give in person. Uh, checks or, or uh, uh, cash you can give now. Uh, you can also give online anytime on our website, mymosaicchurch.com. And many of you give online. So we thank you so much for that, for supporting our church and allowing uh, Ryan and I to be pastors. Um, but as we go out after singing, I mean, you know, you're dearly loved. You're invited onto the team. You're welcome at the table. May you be filled with joy and hope and peace this week. Squad, if you're singing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.